Hello, this is the Young Gunners from the Texas Young Lawyers Association. We cut through the noise and discuss practical tips and challenges facing new attorneys in Texas and the United States. In this episode, I'm your host, Tim Newman. I'm a partner at Haynes & Boone in Dallas and currently serve as treasurer of the Texas Young Lawyers Association. We're recording from AT&T's global headquarters in Dallas today, and I'm talking with Jennifer Morris. Jennifer is an assistant vice president and senior legal counsel at AT&T Services, and she formerly served as the president of TYLA. She'll be talking with us today about how to prepare for a hearing. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. Thank you for being with us. First off, tell our listeners what you do for AT&T. Well, uh, I'm responsible for our Southwest Litigation Group, which means that we run um, all litigation except patent and employment, class action and arbitrations in five states, Texas, uh, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Kansas, and Nebraska. I know Nebraska is not normally Southwest, but for at and pretty far is. up there for yeah. Southwest. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so what was your career path to where you are today? Uh, I graduated SMU in 99. Went to work for Carrington Coleman and uh, thought I was going to be a lifer there. I was there for about 16 or so years, uh, became a partner, uh, was head of the real estate and construction litigation group, and also did some um, securities uh, litigation work, and um, thought I'd be there forever, loved it, loved the people, loved the practice, and uh, David McAtee, our general counsel, came calling at some point looking for someone to come into the litigation group here. And uh, after trying to fill that role a few times with uh, some friends, I decided this role looked pretty darn good for me. And so uh, here I am. Well, and we at TYLA know that you have been intimately involved with the organization. Tell us about your role and some of the projects that you worked on with TYLA. Yeah, you know, I've loved TYLA. It's actually how I met David McAtee when he was TYLA president. I uh, came on the board and took his his, uh, board position. Uh, And so I was a director for several years. I was an officer for several years and then ultimately uh, got to be president of the group and uh, just really enjoyed my time and enjoyed my continued involvement with uh, TYLA. Uh, I got to work on some of the the most interesting projects I thought that come out of TYLA for a while. Uh, They had a dream too. Uh, was really fantastic. No, Met well. one of my one of my closest friends now, Kellyanne Clark, who's actually here at AT and T. Uh, and then when I was president, I was really committed to doing something on child abuse, and uh, it was absolutely my my pleasure to work on the little voice, uh, which encouraged people to uh, recognize and then report child abuse uh, in the state of Texas. And then uh, probably relevant to uh, the young gunners on here is uh, Office in a Flash. And I don't know if it's still around, but it was a great uh, tool for the tool chest for uh, people going out and opening up their own practices. I know that project well. So I understand you weren't always headed into a legal career. What other careers did you consider before the law? Well, I considered one other, and I probably considered it for about 15 years. I was a musician. I played the French horn. I went to a performing arts high school, kind of like fame in uh, Baltimore, and uh, I then came to SMU to study with the principal harness of the Dallas Symphony, and I thought I'd do my four years of hard time in Texas and then head off to (laughs) South America, South Africa, and play French horn until I made it into a big orchestra in the United States. So that's where I was headed, and uh, around my 
junior year of undergrad, uh, I realized that I was uh, really interested in debate. I joined the mock trial team at the encouragement of one of my English professors and uh, fell in love with the law and in, in particular with being a trial lawyer. Well, obviously you've done well. Today we're talking about how to prepare for a hearing down to the details of what you need in your briefcase or your bag or your backpack or whatever you prefer to carry when you walk into court. So how many times do you think you've walked into court for a hearing? (laughs) You know, um, I remember being asked that question when I was a younger lawyer and I kept thinking, when is it I'm not going to feel like a baby lawyer? And uh, five years went past, and 10 years went past, and 15 years went past, and somewhere in the last several years, I finally don't feel like a baby lawyer. Uh, but there's no, you know, no shame in being a baby lawyer. It's, it's, it's where we all learn how to, to do what we do. Probably, you know, I've, I've been practicing for almost 20 years now, and so I would say hundreds. I, I don't even think I could give you a, a, a number, but a lot. Definitely a not lot. a stranger yeah, to the courtroom. Definitely not a stranger to the courtroom. Do you have any funny stories you can share with us? Yeah, it wasn't funny at the time. Uh, And this probably goes under the category of it's never in the bag. Uh, I was desperate to get in the courtroom. One of the reasons I went to Carrington Coleman is uh, they're they're focused on getting young associates in the courtroom as soon as possible. So it was my first year, and my partner that was responsible for me said, hey, I'm going to send you down to the courthouse. You're ready. I've got a default judgment for you. This is a, you can't lose it. I mean, if you do lose it, you're probably fired. Like, just you just need to go down there. The, the uh, defendants haven't answered and just secure this default judgment. So, all right, this is great. I get to go to the courtroom. I've got to walk in the courtroom. I've got to talk to the judge. I've got to talk to the clerk. i got to get my order signed and make sure I had my order like all good lawyers have. And I go down there, and it was supposed to be in front of a very friendly uh, judge. I mean, n- not improperly friendly, but just you right. know, someone that would be receptive to a young lawyer coming into the courtroom. <laughs> of course. Not knowing at all what to do, including where the bathroom was. And I walk in, and he was on vacation, and we had a visiting judge. So my first you know, loop, I'm like, okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with the visiting judge. I'm, I'm, by God, I'm not coming back without my default judgment. So I go up and you know present the default judgment, and the visiting judge was from a remote county and uh, was a, a senior judge. And after I explained to him what I wanted and, and why I was entitled to it, he looked at me and he said, well, I don't really feel comfortable giving you a default judgment because the defendant is not in the courtroom today. And I looked at him and I thought, what have I done wrong in my argument? <laughs> and and so I tried, you know, and I said, well, judge, I mean, I think that's the, the point is, you know, the, the defendant hasn't answered, and I have proof of service and proof that they, they are aware of, of the lawsuit. And uh, he said, no, I'm just, I'm just not going to be able to give you that relief. You're going to need to come back when the, the judge is wow. in, in uh, Back, back from vacation. So I had to go back and tell my partner that I was not able to secure the default judgment. So they I, kept, I, I still kept working yeah, for them. I was going to ask. Apparently you got to keep your job. I did get to keep my job. <laughs> what courts have you argued in? I presume federal, state, all over? Yes. Um, federal and state, uh, certainly Texas, and um, some uh, New Jersey, New York, uh, D.C., um, arbitrations, and uh, now since I've been at AT&T, uh, tribal court. Really? Yeah. How was that experience? Um, tribal court is fascinating, uh, as long as you understand that um, 
you just throw out all of the rules, and uh, you're going to lose. And then when you appeal it, you're going to lose as well. So it's much better to negotiate and uh, uh, figure out a resolution, which is really what they want anyway. Give us a recent example of a motion you've argued. Well, that probably brings me to the the only part of my job that I don't love as much as everything else, which is I don't get to argue very many uh, anymore. Uh, I have a team who gets to go to the courthouse and argue, and uh, um, it's rare for me to get to do that. But a couple of years ago, I did have a trial in uh, Tarrant County. I got So I did the trial. I did the, the opening arguments and put on witnesses. Um, but the best part of that trial and, and probably one of my favorite moments in my career was that we got a directed verdict. Uh, and so sort of my life lessons is, you know, always ask for what you want, even if you don't think you're going to get it. You know, directed verdicts are pretty rare. Right. A lot of people get them. I actually told some people that I was going to be moving for a directed verdict, and then I got the, the, the eye roll. <laughs> uh, I was certainly entitled to it. It was a cell tower lease dispute, and uh, I had, the statute of limitations had, had run. The landowner had been on notice for 18 years that we were on the property that he thought we shouldn't have been on. It was open and obvious. I uh, moved for summary judgment, thought for sure I should get it, didn't get it, partially because the plaintiff said, told the judge that they had some good evidence they were going to put on at trial and they just wanted their, their fair day at trial. And so, you know, partially in reliance on that, the judge went ahead and we had the trial. And after the plaintiff's closed, the uh, judge was not happy that that evidence had not been presented. And so when I moved for the directed verdict, knowing that the judge was going to deny it, got it granted. Good stuff. How do you prepare for a hearing? What's your process? I'm a pretty deliberate person. Um, I know everybody has different processes, and there's a lot of really, really good lawyers that do things differently. So my way isn't the right way, but it's the right way for me. And I think that's probably the most important thing is as you're you know, honing your craft and becoming an excellent trial lawyer, you, you have to figure out what works for you. And sometimes you, you know, you'll take this from one you know, really good trial lawyer and you'll take something from another one and put together your own process. Uh, for me, I, I really sit down and think about what my goal is. So why am I having the hearing? What relief am I seeking? I identify the main points I need the judge to hear and figure out how it is I'm going to capture those points in the best way for the judge to hear them. I always make sure that both the beginning of my argument and the end of my argument I've thought through, I know exactly what I'm going to say, and they're going to be high-impact statements. Make sure that I don't forget to ask for the specific relief I'm seeking. You know, a lot of times people go in front of a judge with all of these problems, but not with a path uh, for the judge to follow to get to some sort of resolution. I think if you can make it easy for the judge to under, understand how you need them to rule, what you need them to, to, to provide for you, uh, it, that goes a long way. I determine uh, if I'm going to need any cases or exhibits, demonstratives, PowerPoints, and that all involves you know, researching what the judge likes uh, and also what, what makes sense for the type of hearing. You know, If you've got a discovery hearing and you're asking for certain relief, you know, you find a case that says you're entitled to that relief. You, you know, you can argue for 30 minutes about something, but if you've got the case that gives it to you, the judge is gonna gonna grant it. Uh, and then, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a practicer. I really believe that how we argue and the words we use and how we use them is really important. 
and I don't like a script. I don't want to memorize a script, but I want to have gone through my argument from an outline so many times that it's second nature. Uh, and I've listened to how it comes across. Uh, I've heard, you know, whether it makes sense, uh, whether something's awkwardly phrased or awkwardly placed. Um, and I really, just like you would edit a brief, I edit and revise my argument. Um, and I usually do that in the car. So when I'm driving to and from work leading up to an important hearing, I'll just do my arguments uh, over and over again in different ways just to see what sounds good, sounds best. Um, and then the final product, I make sure I go in with an outline. I don't like, uh, like I said, a script. You don't want to read from it because if you get lost, you know, if you lose your place or whatever, and a judge doesn't want to be read to. Uh, and then this is something I took from uh, my first mentor when I was practicing, uh, David Cole. Uh, and I take the outline and separate it into different topics, and each page is a different topic. So as I complete a topic or as questions are asked about the topic, I can put it on that page, and, and they don't get lost. If I have an outline and it's six pages long and it just kind of streams together, you can really get lost, especially if you get flustered or get stressed in the in the hearing and you can't find yourself and you're not sure you know where you've been. But with these papers, you can just fold them up. You're like, I'm done with that topic. I've covered it. It's over. Uh, so recommend that. So with the rehearsal, we may be hearing a little bit of your music background coming out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that, yeah. Tim. Yeah, do you ever go so far right. as to record yourself and listen? Or do you have others listen in while you prepare your statements? Or When, maybe this is embarrassing, but when <laughs> I have done really important hearings, like when an opening, when you know that opening really is going to be relatively in the can, that not a lot's going to change. You don't need to be terribly dynamic, uh, as in changing your argument on the fly. Um, I have actually recorded myself, listened to my tone. I think mm -hmm. tone can be really important. Sure. Make sure that you're using different tones throughout the argument, especially when you're talking to a jury. Uh, so, yeah, not very frequently, but there are certainly times when I felt like it's warranted and I've done it and I've had the time to do it. And I didn't build the client for it. <laughs> <laughs> Good note there. <laughs> do you prepare differently for federal versus state or based on any other things? I prepare differently for the judge. You know, I think that it's a mistake to be more formal and federal or think you're going to be more formal and federal and less formal and state or you're going to be more prepared because you're going to federal court and you can, you know, do a little bit more on the cuff in state court. I think that sometimes lawyers think that. I think that you got to have the same level of preparation regardless of the court you're in. Um, and your client deserves that. But... I do pay a lot of attention to what the judge's preferences are and what they seem to focus on, and that does impact how I, how I prepare. What's the one thing you always make sure that you have with you in court? You know, I think this is the thing that a lot of people forget, and, and it's an answer to the hardest question that you could possibly be asked. You know, we all fall in love with our arguments. We fall in love with our case and our facts. We drink our Kool-Aid. Our client, we drink our Kool-Aid. <laughs> and, you know, I think maybe the, the best thing you can bring with you is the answer to the question you don't want to get asked. Because uh, you're going to get asked it. That You know, I, I have learned in my career, I don't always do it, but I, but I try when I hear that little voice or I have that little tingle in my neck 
I stop and listen to it. And if it's telling me to read one more case or look at one more thing or think deeply about one more issue, you got to stop and do it because that's the issue that's going to get you in trouble if you don't address it. Let's talk more about some of the the nuts and bolts. Like what are the tangible things that you take with you into court? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So water... Uh, I'm not going to drink out of those pitchers in the courthouse. (laughs) Uh, And I get bad headaches, so, you know, I need water and notepads, uh, extra pens, uh, rule book. Um, One time I walked in without my rule book and the other lawyer had his and uh, the judge had his and I was definitely at a disadvantage and I never forgot my rule book again. Um, Is there a particular version or commentary or treatise of the rules that you like to have with you or is it just the rules themselves? Uh, I I keep O'Connor's. Okay. Yeah, I mean, O'Connor's gives you some commentary, gives you some case sites, and then it actually gives you just the rule. Uh, and, you know, a caution against just relying on those comments or the cases because sure. they're, they're not always as accurate as you would like them or they don't quite say what you need them to say. Uh, but it's a great starting point, and certainly if, if uh, you're caught unawares in the courtroom and you need to look up something quickly, it, it's helpful. Um I imagine you probably have better suggestions. Uh, of, I use of O'Connor's ones. as well. You use O'Connor's? All yeah. right. Yeah. Do you bring copies of pleadings or cases or copies of the motion that you filed? Yeah. Uh, when I was a younger lawyer, I brought the entire file. If I, I mean, if I had an important, if it was trial or if it was a summary judgment or you know, a dispositive motion, discovery, then I'm just bringing the discovery pleadings. Um, but you need whatever is at issue in the hearing, uh, whether you're bringing it electronically or hard copy, uh, and also making sure you've got your proof of service. If, if, if that's an issue, if there's going to be some question about whether somebody got a notice of the hearing uh, or you know a motion or whatever, making sure you've, you've got your T's crossed and you know exactly how they were served, they were served properly, and you've got proof of that. Um, it's helpful because frequently it comes up, particularly in uh, continuance motions, that sort of thing. What about flags or sticky notes or pens, highlighters? Yeah, um, I always bring, so I write in one color uh, in preparation and I write in a different color during the hearing. So I bring multiple colored pens and that just lets me see quickly at a glance what I need to address during the hearing. Um, sticky notes, uh, I'm thinking back when I was when I was practicing at the law firm and going to hearings with partners, uh, I always brought anything I thought they could possibly need, including crazy things like scissors and staplers and two-hole punch and whatever it was. If, if they asked for it, I wanted to be the person that had it. And that's a great tip. I mean, I try to do the same thing when I yeah. was a young associate at the firm. Mm-hmm. Just try to anticipate whatever the partner or the senior associate could possibly need because you do want to be that person that has it. Absolutely. You want to be the person that, that thought ahead. Do you take notes while you're in court? Minimally. So if I'm arguing a motion, I want somebody in the courtroom, if at all possible, that can be taking really good notes. It's taking notes on how the judge is reacting. It's taking notes on what the other side is arguing. Uh, to make sure even down the road in the case we go back and address things that were brought up then because you get a you get a little window into how they're looking at the case uh, but as, as far as me when I'm arguing you know I really want to focus on what I'm saying 
uh, and I want to focus on what the judge is asking and what the other side is arguing. And so what I write down is only the things that I think I need to respond to in the moment. I write them down, like I said, in a different color. And if there's something really important, I've got the time to do it and still listen. If I hear something that I think, um, I need to address that down the road, I'll write it down. I'll put action beside it. It just tells me that after the hearing, I need to make sure it goes on the action list for the trial case. What about passing notes during a hearing? And I know that, that some judges are very sensitive to that and, and may call attorneys out for passing notes. But let's assume we're not in one of those courts. Is that something you tend to do or you see it as a distraction? Yeah. You know, when, when I was a... I think that it can be a helpful thing, but there's a couple important points on it. If you're going to pass notes, you need to be judicious about them and make sure that you're really passing them when you, you think something's getting missed and and it needs to be addressed. And then your note needs to be really short, and you need to write it in absolute clear handwriting. I see people pass notes, and I've, I've received notes, and I've probably given notes, and you get it, and you're arguing, and you get this note, and it looks like chicken scratch, except you see one word, and it's like, absolutely don't, and then, <laughs> and you're like, well, I have no idea what that says, and now I'm stressed about what it says, and I'm trying to argue, and I'm trying to listen to the judge, so you just can make, slow down, write it really clearly. For, for those of you who are, who are training up other young lawyers, I, I did have someone in a deposition who passed me notes constantly. And then was whispering in my ear constantly as when I was a, a young lawyer. And uh, finally, the lawyer on the other side just said to the lawyer that I was with, you know, would you rather take this deposition yourself? Right. So, I mean, you gotta be, you got to be really careful about that as well. So we've got young lawyers listening. Hopefully they'll have opportunities to argue motions in court. What, uh, what additional advice do you have for them? You know, I was at a CLE yesterday with a couple of judges in Dallas County. And I was really heartened to hear them talk about how important it is to them that young lawyers come into the courtroom and argue motions uh, and, he- and hear them encourage uh, more senior lawyers in the room to get their young lawyers in the courtroom arguing motions and to hear the judges say, look, we're going to give them extra time. We're going to give them leeway. It, we're not saying we're going to rule in their favor. But when we see a young lawyer walk into the courtroom, we're so glad that they're getting that experience. We're going we're to bend over backwards to make sure they get every opportunity to be heard and to, and to hone their craft. Um, and so you were asking me advice for young lawyers. Right. Uh, so the first advice is to ask for the experience. Um, it's going to be unusual for, you know, unless you're in a really good situation where you're being developed you're really in charge of your career so you've got to look out for the experience that you're getting and you know if you're writing the motion ask to argue it ask to argue part of it and ask, ask over and over again even if your senior is saying you know I can't do it it's about the company you know this client's not going to let you don't get disheartened by it just keep asking uh, because eventually you won't have to ask they'll think about it uh, and you asking says you're ready to do it and then once you get that opportunity, you know, you can go up against lawyers that have got a lot more experience than you, but you can control how prepared you are. And you can, you can be the most prepared person in the courtroom. And sometimes young lawyers, even if they don't have the experience, if they're more prepared, they're going to run circles around the more experienced lawyer that didn't prepare like they did. 
So let's say that a young lawyer has asked for that opportunity and for whatever reason has been declined. Uh, what advice do you have for them sitting in the courtroom? How can they still make themselves helpful and, and useful during that hearing? Uh, you know, the first thing is to think ahead, sit down before the hearing and think of all of the things that are going to be needed for that hearing and have them. Even if you think that the lawyer you're going with is going to have them as well, make sure, you know, I'll, you could do it in action list. What do I need for this hearing? We're going to need an order. You know, that's something that a lot of lawyers forget to bring into the courtroom and they turn around and look at their, you know, associate. Did you bring an order? And you want to be the person that says, yeah, I did. Here it is. And here's three versions of it. So I didn't know which one you would want. <laughs> um, so, you know, bring an order, have your own copy of the rules, you know, make sure that there's a copy available for the lawyer that you're supporting. You need to make sure you know the argument backwards and forwards, even if you're not making the argument. Make sure you've read those cases. Make sure that, that you've read the motions and the responses, and you know the argument just as well as uh, the partner or the, the other lawyer that you're working with. Uh, and then take excellent notes. There have been a few times in my career when I've been really frustrated. I've brought an associate to a hearing or a deposition, and i I, shame on me, didn't communicate how important it was for them to take good notes. And I would turn to them and say, you know, hey, what did he just say? Uh, I don't know. And and so just you, you, be the stenographer. I mean, you can be obnoxious about it, but that's such a huge gift that you can give the attorney you're supporting. Uh, and then make sure, I, I, I saw this a lot before, I don't know how much it's going on now, but just don't don't look at your phone. Don't look at your iPad. Don't look at anything when you're in that hearing your deposition. You are learning. You're getting experience. It is a gift to you. And if you spend 30 seconds doing something else, you're wasting your time and you're wasting your client's time. Jennifer, thank you for your time today. Thank you're you welcome. all. Thank you all for listening to Young Gunners from the Texas Young Lawyers Association. If you like our show and want to check out other episodes, they're available on our website, tyla.org, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a topic you want to hear about, email us at tyla at texasbar.com or send us a tweet at at texyounglawyers using the hashtag younggunners. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We hope to see you back here for another episode. Thank you.